Listen, my name is Chris, man. I'm part of the teaching team here at New City Church. And um, Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so what I want to do today is I want to kind of sit on this verse for just a little bit before we move on to the rest. Um, my, my intent is that the teach, I don't want it to be like this most heavy thing that you've ever walked through, right? But at the same time, um, I want your affections turned towards the, your Savior. Like, I want your affections turned towards your Lord. And so to understand the rest of four, we've got to start with verse one, which means we've got to kind of unpack that, okay? And so before we start, man, there's a lot to do today. Like, if we're, if we're going to unpack verse one and we're going to try and get through the first 16 verses of chapter four, there's a lot to do, all right? A lot to do in 30 minutes. And so I'm just going to ask the Lord to come, right? First service, I debated in my head, like, man, maybe we don't have enough time. Um, but we always have time to invite the Spirit to come and play, right? And so, Jesus, and we know that your Spirit hovers all over the earth. We know that your Spirit is alive and well in people here. We also know that your Spirit is not alive and well in people here. And Lord, what I would ask is that is your kindness that draws us in, Lord, I would ask that the words of Scripture be the only thing that gets remembered here. Lord, I would ask that our hearts always be turning towards you, no matter what this guy says. Lord, I would ask that you protect my mouth. Please keep me from saying ignorant stuff. Let me say only what you would have me say. Lord, I would ask for the ears of people to be opened here. Like, Lord, only you do that. You're the one who makes hearts tender, which then opens the, the ears. So Jesus, as your spirit lives with us, Lord, I would ask that you get even thicker here. Like you would get even thicker here. Lord, I would lift up all the pastors preaching your word. Man, that their heart is full of love towards you. Lord, I would ask that you continue just to work in this body of believers. And Lord, if there's ever a time that you want to take your hand off of us, Father, would you please convict our hearts on why so that we could change our course? Lord, would you let us be a church that you are pleased with? Would you move us from being lukewarm? Lord, would you put a fire in us for you and so that we could work according to your pleasure and according to your will and not what we dream up. Well, I would ask these things in the name of your son. And everyone in the house said, amen, amen. <clears throat> so if you know, we've been in Ephesians for like six weeks, right? We're doing a, cha two, we're doing a chapter every two. And so if you've been walking with us, we're in Ephesians 4. We're in the second week of Ephesians 4. We did Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 already. Here's the deal. 1, 2, and 3 are all theology. They, they are the why of what's been established for you, all right, and for me. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 tell you how to walk it out. But more importantly, it's like if you don't understand why you want to walk it out, you won't walk it out. Does that make sense? 
Like, if you don't understand, it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Like, if you don't understand that verse, you won't, under, you won't do the rest, right? Or you'll do the rest, but it will only be out of obedience, and eventually that wears out. Like, anytime that you start just doing stuff because somebody told you to, you'll do it for a season, and then you'll rebel. Like, it's the way you work, right? It's understanding why we do this. And so when Paul says, therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, you got to know what that life that you have received is. And so we don't have time to go through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, but I do want to set the stage just a little bit, right? Otherwise, the rest of the verses won't make any sense. And so, like, if, if we were just to go back and take just a couple verses here, all right? Let's say we take the first few verses of Ephesians 1. Again, he's establishing the why to live this life. And he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in Christ in the one he loves. Okay, now we've taught through this, right? This is that picture that, he's, that the Lord has known your name before he built the earth. That's what he said. He says, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. So he knew your name prior to forming the earth. Like he knew your name prior to you or prior to the earth um, having water on it. He knew your name prior to Adam and Eve being made. He knew your name before he split the water from the water. He knew your name before he ever put fish in the sea. Like he knew you. Like that's what it says. Like if you want to translate it into the Greek, it says the same thing. All right. It says that he knew you. And so you sit there and you go, why did he know me? Like, why did he do this? Like, what is the purpose of this? Like, why would the creator of the universe want to know my name before the earth was formed? Like, why would he do this? And so we track down a little bit further, and it says, verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. All right? That's what he did. He said he did all of these things so that you would be holy and blameless. Now, let's just pause on this for a second. Holy and blameless is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word, perfect and immaculate. You remember that? Perfect and immaculate was what they knew. Like when they wrote this, they understood there was a light bulb that went off for them. Like they're like, I, I get this. And the minute that Paul wrote this, this is why the Jews covered their ears and screamed, throw him in prison, beat him to death. This cannot be true. Now let me unpack that for you just a second. When they heard these words, holy and blameless, for them they heard the same words, perfect and immaculate, which was something they knew their entire lives. If, you, if you're tracking, like if you know Old Testament terminology, the word perfect and immaculate was for the sacrifice that they had to bring to the temple every year, right? So let me, let me park here. Let me, let me draw you in. Do you have a pet, anybody own pets in this house? Yeah. Do you like them? Yeah, yeah. Mixed feelings, right? We have, a, we have a dog named Charlie, all right? Terrible decision, all right? Terrible decision. When we were moving to Kansas City, uh, my daughter Mia, um, her and Abby both, they didn't really do well with it. And so I did what, what good dads do. I just started promising the farm. I'm like, what do you need? 
What do you need? Abby was easy. She needed money and an email account. So that was simple. I'm like, easy, done. Mia said, I need a dog. I'm like, sweet. That'll keep you from crying. I'll give you, we'll get you a dog. Rough decision, man. That was, that one came to bite us on the rear end. So Charlie, this, this is what Charlie does pretty much all the time. If she's, she's either eating, sleeping, drinking, or biting people. Right? Now that's how she rolls. She lives underneath our bed at night, even though she shouldn't. And about every 45 minutes, you'll hear her get up and scratch the floor, getting her a good place to lay down, and she'll lay back down again. And then anything that she hears outside, like a bird, like she'll bark, right? Just for, and even if she doesn't hear anything, she just barks anyway. And so it was a bad move for us, right? And, and half the time, she gets up on you, and she's like, man, I don't like you, Charlie, at all. Like even today, we gave her some food, and she like growled at me like she was about to take, my, take me down. And I'm like, know your role and shut your bark, right? But here's how things would work, right? If you're growing up in Old Testament times, here's what you would do. You would wake up one morning and there would be a heaviness on you. It would just be heavy for you. Probably nobody in your house would be talking, right? It's what's known as the Day of Atonement. It's a day when your sins get covered but not forgiven. And so you would, you would get the family up. Everybody on your street would walk out the door about the same time. Just imagine this. Everybody on your street standing in the driveway, right? And you bring your favorite pet there, the one that's perfect and immaculate, the one that's holy and blameless, right? The one that's without blemish. Like those are the words that it uses in here. Okay, and so everybody has their pet. Everybody brings them out. You go to the curb. Nobody's really saying anything. The head of the household pulls this out, right? Like you know where this is going. I watched this on video because there's people that still do this. What they would do is they'd be out in the street. They'd hold their animal down, put their foot on their foot on their neck so they couldn't get up. Take their knife. At the same time, slice necks. Right? Now, if you're familiar with anatomy, it gets a little bit even worse. Right? You hit a carotid artery, it's directly related to the left ventricle, one pipe coming out of there. Comes up the aorta, up the left carotid artery. Makes a mess. Right? And here's what's, here's what's even harder about this, right? It's like, when this thing is over with, you look down and you're like, I did this. Like, I, I did this. Like, this is what's required for us. Like, in the Old Testament, prior to Christ coming, this is what they would do every year. Every year. Like, this is history for you. This is a history lesson. And the hard thing about this is that you would have all this on, like, this mess, and you're like, man, I did this. Like, I, I did this. Like, this is because of me, the sin that I've committed, that my wife has committed, that my kids have committed. Like, this is for our household so that we could be in right standing with God again. And a lot of you may go, well, man, that's a heinous crime. I mean, what kind of God does that, right? And, man, I, I don't have time to unpack you, but let me just tell you that it's fair. 
It, it's fair. You, you, just because you think it's not, it doesn't mean you're accurate. All right? The, the Lord set down rules and said, this is how you live to stay in right, con- it's right standing with me. And here's the deal. You can't live in them. And when Jesus came, he made them even more difficult to live in. Right? It was the Lord explaining. He's like, look, I am holy and I need you to be holy too. For us to stay in connection with one another, this is how it works. Like, I created the universe. I knew your name. Like, I put all the systems in place that work this world. I put this one in place too. And so you don't get to argue with it. You, you don't get to fight it. And so, man, so we caused all this. And then, and then afterwards, man, like after the terror goes away, you, you, you go back into being in right standing with God. Your sins get covered. They don't get forgiven. Now, let me explain to you the difference. When they get covered, they still leave a stain on you. It's kind of like in your, on your sheets, right? You're eating in your bed. You get a stain on your sheets. You can't get it out, so you just throw the blanket over the top of it so you don't have to see it. Like, that's what was happening. It was never clean. It was just covered. That's why holy and blameless in the New Testament does not really fit perfect and immaculate in the back, in the, in the Old Testament. And so here comes even a harder push on you. You do this every year. Every year you have to do this. It's why you can read about it in Hebrews and it says, listen, quit killing the animals. Jesus has come. But in this time, you're still living in the Old Testament. Christ hasn't come yet. And so you're doing this every year. So I'm 39 years old right now, and so for 39 years, I would either have watched my parents do this, or I would be taking the lead in it. Every year. Can you imagine how old that gets? Can you imagine how hard that gets? Can you imagine why your heart goes, grows hard? Until this one year comes, right? This one year. But if you, if you believe history, a lot of people will tell you that Jesus died on the day of, right? Like when they were slaughtering all their animals, he was being slaughtered too. And so this one day, you've got your animal out there with your knife, and you're like, man, I hate to do this. I, I hate this. But as, you're, as you pull it out, ready to go down towards the neck, somebody grabs your hand, and they lift your arm back up, They take your foot off of the neck of your pet. They're like, no more like this. And and what this man does is he lays down for you. He lifts your foot back up, puts it on him, and says, this is the sacrifice that's going to take to stop this. This happened. It, It happened. And so you look down and you're like, I can't do this. Like, I don't want to do this. But it's why Jesus said to Pontius Pilate the same thing. Pilate said, do you not know that I can take your life or give it back to you? And Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I give it to you freely. He goes, don't you know at any one time I could call legion upon legion of angels that would come and save me? But this was not the plan from Ephesians 1. It was not the plan from the foundations of the earth. This is how it has to go. It's why when he was in the garden that he was, he was dropping sweats of blood, but he said, not my will, Father, but yours, because we've already planned this. It's why in Hebrews 5, when it says that Jesus was perfect, however, the rod of suffering had to come so that he would be made even more perfect. Why? 
If he was already perfect, why does he have to become more perfect? Why does the rod of suffering have to come for him? Because he has to die. Why? For you and I. You think a man that can walk on water, change water into wine, heal people, will stay on the cross because of three little nails in his arms? It was the plan all the time. Why? Like, why? So that you and I would be holy and blameless in his sight. Like the minute you put Christ on, you become holy and blameless in his sight. And you're like, Chris, I don't feel holy and blameless. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter. Jesus says that the minute that you put him on, that you become holy and blameless in his sight. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what you will do. All of your past and previous sins will be taken care of the moment that you put Christ on, that you are now holy and blameless in his sight. And so that, my friends, every time that you read the word in Christ, just replace it with it, I'm the animal for you. Like, that's what it means. Like, I'm the animal for you so that you would be holy and blameless in my sight. So here's where I'm going to lean on you on this. Those of you in this room, this letter was written to believers. When I say believer, I mean somebody who has submitted their life that Jesus is Lord of them. You know if you've done this. There's a moment where you do it. John 3 says, every man must be born again. The moment that you do this, I don't care if you become the best person in society or if you never contribute to society again. Jesus Christ himself says that you are now holy and blameless in his sight. For those of you who have never put Christ on, you are not. In fact, the word would call you a child of wrath, okay? And so I say that to you to say, listen, man, do not miss what Christ has done for you. Do not look at this world as being something much more better than what Christ has already promised you. Like this idea of being adopted into sonship, right, when he talks about this. Listen, there are, you, there are those of you in this room who are the only people in your family pursuing Christ. Like you're the only one. He says the road is narrow and few find it. That's what he says. It's not this big open gate that everybody fills the church on Sunday in America. He says, the road to me is narrow and few find it. And so I assume that there are a majority of you in this tracking through Jesus alone. Like your family is not following your lead. Here's what I would say to you. Join the crowd. Just join the crowd. But here's what I would say. That word adoption to sonship means you understand it better than anybody. It means that the Lord has called you into his family, which is so much more important than the family that you think you know or the family that you think you have. He says, I have called you into this and I've called your name since the foundations of the earth were laid so that you will pursue me and that you will give glory to me because of what I'm doing in your life. And in this moment, when you look around and you're like, I'm the only one, Lord, it does not change the fact that in Ephesians 4, 1, he says, therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Does this make sense? Yeah. Come on, girl. Come on. This is how it works. Listen, nobody sometimes feels more alone than me. Like my wife and me, like we're, we're tracking. Sometimes we feel like we're the only ones in our immediate family. I don't know that for sure. Same for you. But you know what? Here's the deal. He's given me an awesome wife that we can track the Lord together. 
because he's adopted me into his family and he's never going to leave me alone. The same is true for you. The same is true. Therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received because this is what Christ has done for us. Like he's put a heart in us that makes us unified. So we're going to move. All right, you ready for verse two? (laughs) Okay, here we go. Verse two. Let me get to it. (laughs) For be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Okay, so here's what he says. He says, listen, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, bringing you back just a little bit, here's here's what he says. In Ephesians 2, verse 14, he says this. For he himself, meaning Jesus Christ, is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. All right? So let's walk through this. He says, listen, here's what I want you to do. Because of what I've done for you, be humble with one another. Like, be humble. Some of your Bibles will say long-suffering, meaning that they can walk on you. That unless they're doing something dangerous, like if they're out living the, or out moving away from the word of Scripture, bring them back. But other than that, man, they're going to rub you the wrong way. Like people will just rub you the wrong way. We're going to talk about that in Ephesians 4.11. Sometimes people will just rub you the wrong way. All right? And he's saying, it's okay. Right? He's like, you make every effort to keep the peace. The peace is the fact that I died for you. Meaning that because I died for you, that your hearts are the same. Like your hearts beat together. Your hearts beat together for Christ. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. There's only one God. That's what he's saying here. He's like, you guys have something special that nobody else has, that only believers get. It's because I died for you on the cross and that all of your hearts are the same now. That if you put me on, you understand this grace thing. You understand what you've been saved from and what you've been saved to. And because of this, man, you live unified. Here's the deal. He says, I gave you the peace. Your role is to keep it, right? Like I gave it to you. So your role is simply to keep it and you keep it by being humble and you walk with people, right? And you, you, you show them the ways of Jesus and, and you get along. Like it doesn't matter sometimes if your feelings get hurt, for real. You think Christ's feelings never got hurt? Dude, Judas walked away from him and Peter betrayed him, Right? Like Jesus got his feelings hurt. It didn't stop him from living the life that he was called into. And it shouldn't be the same for us. Like in this moment, because understanding what Jesus has done, like a full grasp of it. He's like, man, out of that, live humbly towards one another. And he goes on to tell you, he goes, therefore, verse four, there is only one body. There is only one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's who we are a part of. And he's like, man, because I gave you this, keep it. Right? Just like keep it. You want the world to really know that the church can actually do some crazy things? Play this out. But understand why you're playing this out. Understand why you've been called into this life. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. 
This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. All right? You're like, what did we just read? What does this mean? Let's just take a portion of it and go, okay? It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, the first part of this is that when he, said, when he ascended on high, he's quoting the ascension. All right? I'm just going to read it to you. I'm just going to read a piece of the ascension to you. All right? It's Acts 1. It says, in my former book, The Office, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. All right? Now, Jesus did some crazy things. All right? He walked this earth like 40 days after he came out of the grave, and he did some crazy things. All right? If you want to know more about them, read 1 Peter 4 and 5. Like he did some crazy things. It says that over 500 people saw him walking around. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. All right? So that's the first part. They're talking about Jesus going up into heaven. Right? Then it says, when he ascended on high, like when he did this, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Some of your Bibles will say that he took captivity captive. All right? What's happening is here is he's quoting Psalm 68. Like we don't have time to read all of Psalm 68, but here's the story of Psalm 68. Psalm 68 reads like a king returning from battle into his kingdom. And so you picture yourself as the king and this big long trail of people following you. And the king is going first to the applause of the, of the kingdom. Behind him are the enemies that they captured from the war. They're all in chains and bondage being brought in saying that I own them. What he's talking about here is he's saying, listen, when Christ died, he defeated both sin and death. On the ascension, he took them back to heaven and owned them, right? And so this is a picture of Jesus now living in you saying, I own both death and sin in your life. Like they are sworn enemies of the kingdom of heaven. And as I trail into my kingdom, you can see that I own them because I have defeated them at the cross. On the ascension, I am receiving the glory. That's why I'm above higher than everything else because I'm going to sit down at the right hand of the Father. And he's saying that the moment that you put Christ on, that you too own both death and sin. The minute that you believe that you cannot get over sin, you are preaching yourself a false gospel and it is a lie. You can own it because Christ already has. Does this make sense? All right. So we move forward. And he says, what does he ascend to mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Don't get confused here. Jesus Christ did go to Hades and he, prayed and he preached the gospel to the spirit world. This was not then. All right. You can read more about that in 1 Peter as well. What they're saying here is that he was from heaven. He came down to the earth. He descended into the grave. Right? 
And it says, then he descended, who was the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. While he was doing this, so Christ, verse 11, himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay, let's pause in this. I don't want to speak too much to this because Matt's going to talk about it more tomorrow night, 7 o'clock if you want to be here. But here's the deal. Some were apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds, and some teachers. We call this here at New City Church the apest or the fivefold ministry. What it means is that Christ was the epitome of all of these. He was the most awesome apostle, the most awesome prophet, the most awesome evangelist, the most awesome shepherd, the most awesome teacher. You have these gifts in you as grace has been apportioned to you. All right? Here's the thing about us, though. We will not live long enough to perfect these. What does happen is that you are wired in such a way as like, usually one or two of these, you're really, really good at. Like, it's just the way that you're made, all right? And so I just want to give you just a quick picture of this, all right? I am wired as a teacher shepherd, meaning that when I see the word, I've got to know what's happening, all right? The teacher in me has to pull the word out, spin it around, put it back in the Old Testament, put it back in the New, and then apply it so that I can teach it, all right? It's way I'm made. Like, you can't stop me from teaching like this. I can't take one verse and just teach. I'm not topical. I've got to preach the word because I think it's what goes into you is what will come out of you, all right? The other part of me is wired as a shepherd. The shepherd means that I love the body of Christ. Like, I can't help it. The moment that you put Jesus on, my role, my heart is for you to grow up in the faith. I I can't help it. You may rub me the wrong way and I may get angry, but I'll come back in about 24 hours and love you because it's the way that I'm made. My friend Matt, not wired this way, all right? Here's what Matt does really well. He's wired as an evangelist apostle, meaning that E, the E in him, loves the people that are outside of this church. Like his heart beats for them. Like he loves the school. He loves doing things with, um, with the, what are we doing with the? Oh, Johnny days. Yeah, you see my evangelist is low. But those are things that fire him up, right? And his apostle in him is like the apostle wants to take more ground for the gospel. All right, it's, it's how he's made. And so the beauty of this is that when we work together, guess what? The gospel moves. Like it just goes. Because well, the things that he loves, I, I, I struggle with. And the things that I love, he kind of struggles with. But the beauty of it is that when we're put together, we make this awesome team because the Lord has built it. Do you understand this? It's called an A-Pest. An A-Pest working team. And here's the thing. Just because we get a paycheck from the church doesn't mean this isn't for you. It is for you. Like you have this too. And, and what I want to say to you is, man, you got to learn these things. And so I want to push on you to go to that tomorrow because here's the deal. Every one of these gifts has a shadow, meaning that they are dangerous to the church. Like you can use your gift to hurt people. You can. And people do because it's, it's not knowing, right? It, it's thinking that everybody needs to see the lens of the world through my eyes, and it's not true. Matt does not need to look like me, nor do I need to look like Matt, nor do you need to look like me. There are some of you who will resonate with me because you're wired up like me. There are others of you that will resonate with Matt because you're wired up like him. It's okay. What we want to do is teach you how you're wired up so that one day people will resonate with you and release the church because the apest was given to equip the saints. That means that everybody who knows Christ is a saint, and I can't equip them all. You are called to equip them as well. That word equip just means simply mending the net. Like when there's a net and there's a hole in it and the fish are escaping, that word equip just means to mend that hole. That's what we do together. And two people cannot mend an entire net. 
The whole body of Christ mends that net. And this is how it works, right? This is how we roll. And so I'm going to keep going because I know I'm running out of time. I'm sorry to whoever's going to be mad at me for this. But it says, verse 11, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. All right? Instead, we will speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Jesus. For in him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's all of us. It's not just me. It's you, man. The Lord has called you into this. Now, here's the thing. Let me lean on you for just a second before I I get off the stage because I'm getting fired up here. But it says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning of craftiness. That word for tossed back and forth by the waves, it is the same word that Peter had when he got out of the boat and he walked on water. It's the same word. All right? It just means movement. Here's what me, let me lean on you. After 15 years in the ministry, let me push on you for just a second. Here's what you're going to want to do. You're going to go find a place to serve. And I'm going to tell you to stop doing that because here's what you're going to do like in your mind like dude i get fired up jesus is really doing something in me i've got to find a place to insert right now and here's what's going to happen you're going to disguise growth in the fact of you serving somewhere you can't do that you you can't do that because here's what happens is that you'll start serving somewhere and thinking that you're growing up when you're really not you're not growing up at all and in fact you're using the service to man to, to 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 feel some kind of void in your heart and here's what i would say to you is flip that Flip it, all right? As, a, as your pastor, man, I've watched this happen too many times. Flip that on its head. Grow close to Christ, and you cannot help but serve. Does it make sense? Like when you grow close to Jesus, you can't help but serve. It's the way that it's made. We don't grow close. We don't do all this stuff to get close to Jesus. That's Islam, all right? We don't do that. What we do is we go close to Jesus, and we cannot help but do all these things. It's the way he's made us. He, he refinishes our hearts. He transforms us. And we can't help but go, right? It works the same thing. Step one, man, you spend time with the Lord. Step two, you spend time with his people. And step three, man, you go out. And that's how this thing is meant to go. Anything other than that, man, will jack you up. And so, man, here's, here's where I want to land the plane. I don't even want to land the plane, man. I can keep preaching, I'm telling you. Man, but I got Kid City people, man. I got to submit to that. So, listen, here's what I want to say to you. He paid that price, man. It's done. I know you've heard this a thousand times. You've heard it a thousand times. Hear it here. Hear it here for the first time. Hear it here. The stain is over with. It's gone. Christ took that knife out of our hands and he put it on his own throat. Not you, not me. He did it for you. And the reason he did is so that you and I would be holy and blameless in his sight. And because of that, dude, it doesn't matter what you think about yourself. I don't care. Just care what Jesus says about you. He says, you are holy and blameless in his sight. And so here's the thing. Last thing, dude, if you are a believer, this book, this this Ephesians was written to believers, people who have confessed his name as Lord. If you've done that, man, praise his name. They're fixing to play. Jesus paid it all praising, right? If you haven't, dude, what are you waiting on, man? You can say a child of wrath and going, dude, hate your life and all these things that you're going to do, things that you're going to try and figure it out. You won't. The very fact that you're standing here means that he's coming after you. You're what we call a person of peace. It's like he's coming after you. And so why would you keep running from him? Like, don't. Just say, dude, just be thankful for what he's done. Profess his name. He's like, dude, if you will, profess his name as Lord. It's like all this becomes yours. Not here. 
here. You don't have to necessarily speak it out. If it gets done here, dude, he's like, man, all this is yours, and nothing takes you from that grip. Amen? Amen. Man. So, yeah, so after, after we had done worshiping the Lord, Matt's going to come up and talk. Then we're going to go back into the back around those tables there. If you want to come back and chat with us, man, if you want to kind of just unpack some of the stuff we said, dude, I'll be back there with some of my friends, man. We'll be glad to sit down and chat with you, love you, pray for you, encourage you, spur you on, let your affections serve the Lord grow hot, right? Yeah. Jesus, you are good. Man, Father, I praise your name for allowing me to, to teach your word. God, I could be teaching a thousand things chemistry or whatever. Lord, you allow me to teach your word, Father. God, I pray one day, man, you let me preach for like five hours straight. God, I praise your name for these men and women in this church who are called by your name, who've been made holy and blameless in your sight. Thank you for Curtis and this band. Man, they are spirit-led people, Father. You walk in the door and you hear them worshiping you, Lord, and you know that we're home. Like, we're just home. Like, we've been adopted into sonship for this. Like, who stands in our way? I don't know. I would say, Lord, work on our hearts so we quit throwing ourselves pity parties, man, when the world around us seems rough because we know where we stand with you. We know that we've been adopted into sonship, that we're holy and blameless and that you formed us before the world was even made. Lord, what else can we praise you for? I don't even know. God, I thank you. I thank you for the difference between this service and the first simply because I asked you to come play in the first when I thought I was too busy. God, forgive me for that. Lord, may you hear our praise in your throne room today, God. We love you. And everyone in the house said, amen.